Hey guys, this is Enrica Jang with Red Stylo Media, and you are listening to Adrian King and Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, how's everyone doing? Welcome back to Adrian Has Issues, and I'm speaking to, and I'm going to say this without any hyperbole whatsoever, one of my favorite people ever to talk to in comics. Actually, she was on the show once before. Wow, this is going way back. This is episode 23, uh, which we entitled The Cheerwine Chronicles, which was a reference to, um, we had this fun little discussion on the episode um, about Cheerwine, which I have been told is the superior cherry cola to cherry coke, which as if anyone knows me personally, cherry coke is my life's blood. I pretty much run on that constantly, which would explain why I'm in such terrible shape, but it kind of blew my mind because I was like, there's no way anything's better than Cherry Coke. And suffice to say, I had made a promise that I was actually going to check out Cheerwine the next time we spoke. And like an idiot, I still have not. So for my end, I'm still feeling like that's untested, but I have a feeling you're probably right. <laughs> we need to uh, solve that situation. We need to get you some Cheerwine. Well, I remember when I ran into you, this is going back, oh gosh, like a year ago at New York Comic Con, you had some at your booth, and I remember after I was wrapping up doing some panels I was covering, basically running to you, and I remember being at your booth like completely just like gasping for air, because I was trying to get to your booth before you ran out, but you had said you did, and I remember just being so insanely heartbroken about it. Well, next Comic-Con, I'll make sure I have some. So 2017 is the 100-year anniversary of Cheerwine. First off, Cheerwine, it was invented in my hometown in Salisbury, North Carolina, for people who didn't catch episode 23, I think you said. And Cheerwine finds its way into all my writing. I don't sit down to write about Cheerwine, but it always shows up. And it's just because I grew up on it as a kid. And... For this, its 100th year anniversary this year, Cheerwine's going national for a very long time. It's still a family-owned and run business, still uh, out of Salisbury, North Carolina. And they tried to keep it regional, but they've just finally succumbed. And so this year, it's going to be available in all 50 states. And if you're in or near a Tasty Burger, Tasty Burger carries Cheerwine. Oh, cool. Which I kind of feel like you did that personally, though. I feel like that was almost like solely off of, you know, Jeannie Woods also is the Cheerwine went national. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't work for Cheerwine. Like, I'm not trying. It's just, um, it's hilarious. It got me through my childhood. Cheerwine and comics got me through my childhood. Well, I guess comics and cherry cola got me through my childhood and now my adulthood. My last day will be me surrounded by my loved ones on a pile of comics with a half-spilled bottle of cherry coke. And the doctor will go in and be like, well, no wonder he died. He was drinking his stuff his entire life. <laughs> First off, I'm so glad to talk to you again. But it's like, where do I start with you? I mean, shoot. Um, in the time that we spoke... I guess, for lack of a better phrase, you've been kicking just like an insane amount of ass as of late um, with your projects. So I got to run down a list. There is A Boy Like Me, which was a finalist in the Next Generation Book Awards, Indie Fab Book of the Year finalist, and was one of Forward Review's 10 Best Young Adult Novels in 2014. But many of you probably know her best from Flutter, which is a awesome graphic novel series 
which, um, like I said, if you've heard episode 23, um, we've talked a lot about it, but obviously we will catch everybody up to date because I need to be caught up to date since a lot has happened since then. And in between working on Flutter, you've done some work for some pretty awesome anthologies, including Fubar, 27, a comic anthology, and Broke Pop, uh, both from Red Stylo. And a shout out to both Enrique Jang and Mario Candelaria for producing both those anthologies. And shoot, I mean, Flutter itself has been featured in New York Times, the Boston Globe, um, an episode of Law and Order SVU, which I really got to hear this story. But let me officially welcome you to the show. Jenny Wood. Jenny, welcome. Thanks for having me back. Thank you. And it's like, I feel like I was almost going out of breath, kind of going through the accolades, but it's well-founded because I've said this before and I've gone on record to say that Flutter is one of my favorite series, and it's a great read, it's a timely read, and it's a great sci-fi, you know, there's so much in this book that I absolutely love, and I'm going to try my best not to kind of go uber fan about it and, like, spoil it for everybody who hasn't read it, so um, if any reason, if I'm going too far into it, please tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I have a knack for spoiling things, too, because... For, I, I'm a, one of those weird people who I don't mind spoilers, typically. There's exceptions to that, but I don't mind having things spoiled for me. And I forget that most people, that normal people, don't want to be spoiled for them. <laughs> I do mind accidentally. It'll be like, oh, and remember that part where like you get so excited about it? Like I'm trying not to, but it's like, all right, pull back. <laughs> Ah, oh, boy. But yeah, since the last time we spoke, um, only Volume 1 of Flutter had been released, because that was back in 2015. But since then, you've had Volume 2 and 3. So I figure for those who uh, may not have heard about the book, if you wouldn't mind just kind of doing a quick little rundown of what the Flutter series is basically about. Sure. Flutter is about a girl who shapeshifts into a boy to get her dream girl, because her dream girl is straight. And then the chaos that comes from her pretending to be someone she's not. She's treated differently as a guy. And there's things she likes about it and things she doesn't. That's basically volume one. Uh, and then volume two, she starts to explore. Maybe she wants to live full time as a guy. And she also starts to realize, hey, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of being a jerk running around pretending to be someone I'm not. So she starts to realize that and take uh, ownership and responsibility. And then uh, we just released Volume 3 only six weeks ago. Oh, wow. That's right. That was pretty recent. And I know there was the, uh, the Kickstarter campaign, which again, I was really hoping to have you on when that got released. But yeah, I'm glad it got funded, and I'm glad it's out, because Volume 3 is a monster of a book, which um, I guess we probably should uh, do a real quick shout-out to, of course, um, Team Flutter, as you had referred to them. So Jeff McComsey is the artist for Flutter, and it's been a 50-50 collaboration with him from the start. And what I mean by that is I pitched it to him. Uh, he loved the idea. Uh, this was, I started working on Flutter almost 10 years ago. The combined Flutter collection will come out next year. It's being published next year and it will be 10 years. Um, it took me a little while to find Jeff. There's creators out there. You know that finding a collaborator, finding an artist is a lot like dating. Which sucks. <laughs> uh, so Jeff wasn't the first date I went on with Flutter, but he, he was the one who got it and he was very enthusiastic. And it's not that other people didn't get it, just like dating. So much of it is timing, right? Right. But his enthusiasm matched mine. 
And he wanted to see all the character bios I did, which is pages and pages of stuff. Like, you know, what is in Lily's refrigerator and what's her favorite article of clothing. And I, I don't know if Jeff read through all that, probably not, but he wanted to see all of it. And he did a bunch of model sheets uh, for the characters. And I loved his character design. He captured what I had in my head even better than what was in my head. And the 50-50 collaboration came in in just that. Like the character of Penelope, for instance, he designed her in a way that I just fell in love with. And so she became a major character. She's on the cover of volume two. When we got to volume two, you know, Jeff and I had been working at that point on Flutter for a while and we'd put out volume one and we both had other projects. He is, of course, the mastermind behind all the FUBAR anthologies. And those take a lot of time. He also became a father. He now has two little ones, but at the time with volume two, I wanted to have it out in September, 2015. And to do the kind of timeline and deadline that I wanted, we needed to add a colorist. So we added Chris Goodwin. And Chris came along at the perfect time for Flutter because like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, in volume two, Lily starts to grow up. She starts to realize she's being a jerk. And that warm color palette that Jeff McComsey had created in volume one, we extended to a wider color palette for volume two with Chris's work. There's dark colors. There's a lot more color. Um, it just kind of explodes off the page. And it matches, I think, so well what's going on both in the plot and, and with Lily as a character in volume two. And Chris continues that with volume three um, because the, the story just broadens into a story about Lily and her mother, a story about what's going on in the country through the filter of flutter. But uh, we address sexism and racism and, and with Chris's colors, we can do so much with mood. We also added Jeff McClellan with volume two to letter because again, Jeff McComsey not only did the R for volume one and the colors, but he did the lettering. And we needed, we again, with the tight timeline and deadline that I wanted for both volume two and three, we needed a, a letterer. But Jeff McClellan did more than just letter. Um, and that's an art in and of itself. I don't want to belittle that in any way. But Jeff also, Jeff McClellan, uh, we're just going to use last names here. But McClellan also. Edit, yeah, it, talk about conversations with the four of us. But um, Jeff McClellan uh, edited volume two and volume three. He's now helping me edit the whole collection uh, just so it's just a smoother read, I think, for the reader. That's what we're aiming for with the collection. I wish I can cite her personally because I saw a tweet one day. And apologies if anyone listening uh, knows the person who said it. Um, feel free to point it out. But I was um, reading a tweet or a series of tweets by somebody who talked a lot about the importance of colors in a comic and how, in a lot of ways, it could be a storytelling device in and of itself. And I did notice that with Flutter, where as the story progressed, you know, the colors reflected the themes and what was going on. And I thought that was a genius choice to, to do that. And I've noticed that a lot of comic book creators, you know, a lot of colors do the same thing. And that's something that now that I'm more aware of it, I, I just love that. And I think that's a really nice touch to add to books. Chris plans a color palette for the whole book before he starts. Um, and we meet uh, and go over the whole thing 
I mean, that's the thing, you know, with McComsey being the artist and Chris being the colorist and McClellan being the letter editor. These guys are also helping shape the story, too. A lot of volume three came out of conversations I had with Chris. Uh, volume three picks up about six. Is it six months after volume two? Yeah. And you would think I would know this. <laughs> um, <and laughs> so early November of last year, I thought I was done with volume three with the script. And then the election happened. And I had written volume three uh, in volume three. Gosh, here we go into spoiler territory. I had let's I'll just I'll say it like this. I'd written volume three, assuming like a lot of people that we would have our first female president and that didn't happen. And so I I had to address what was going on in the world. What would happen if we had our first uh, female president? Not I'm not talking about Clinton. I'm not talking about but through the world of flutter. In today's times, what would happen if a woman became president in this political climate? And I felt like as a writer, I felt a responsibility to address that. So after the election, I ripped up the script I had of volume three and I started from scratch. And a lot of it is based on conversations I had with Chris right after the election. You know, I just remember that Wednesday pulling myself out of bed, going to meet him at uh, he teaches at the Massachusetts School of Art and Design, and we're just sitting there. And he told me, you know, he had called his mother about the election, and his mother said, "Chris, I hate white people." And Chris is like, "But mom, dad's white." That conversation Saffron has in Volume Three of Flutter, and I, of course, I asked Chris if I could, um, but you know, because. I mean, it just reflected, I think, how so many people were feeling. I felt that way. I'm like, just, you know, that means I hate myself, I guess. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't vote for Trump, but like I felt responsible because I felt so blindsided by it. And I should not have been blindsided by that. And the thing is, though, and I don't know if this is my place to say it, but I know there's a lot of people that really beat themselves up over what happened. Yeah. And I'm going to try to cite her as best I could. Um, when Enrica was on her show earlier this year, she had this great line about, you know, before November, you know, everything kind of seemed to make sense. And it seemed like there was this natural progression. But then after Election Day, nothing made sense. And it was like, much like you tore up your notes and your story, everything got torn up and thrown out because at that point, everything just became a total shit show, you know? So as much as we tried to make sense of it all, there's nothing to make sense of. And that was kind of what made Volume 3 so impactful was that much like with, you know, Lily and, you know, that story and how chaotic and everything seemed to kind of spiral out of control, it's like it pretty much reflected how we've all been feeling and again i'm gonna try my best not to go into mm -hmm. certain spoilers but you know there's several lines much like you you know the one you mentioned before but also the one line that i read wrote down and it's almost like mentally like posted it on a board was the quote it's one night of your life some people go through this every day this is a society that we've had to deal with even prior to the election. But afterwards, you know, it just, everything just kind of just went nuts. And a lot of people who should not have had a voice in anything, <laughs> you know, just got very loud and very vocal and some of them very physical. And 
I appreciate the book for being very unflinching. But yet, I know there's also the other scenario, too, of, you know, what happened if, you know, we did have a female president. And again, not necessarily a matter of it being Hillary, but just how would people react to that? And it's funny. I almost feel like not that the same thing would have happened, but yet there's the, that, you know, a certain group, you know, still felt that they needed to do something about it. But I'm like, no, you didn't have to. Of course, referring to, I'm sorry, I should probably clarify and mean the um, the group, um, I believe they're the New Sovereign Sons, as they refer to themselves? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make that clarification, just in case anybody was confused if I was talking about a particular group. No, I was talking, referring to in the book. You know, I was working on that, and Jeff was finishing the art, and Chris was finishing the color work when Charlottesville happened. So, it's, it's just, you write something... And it's like stranger than fiction, right? Like I wrote that thinking this is like a worst case scenario of what would happen if, you know, a woman becomes president. A, a big part of volume three is, uh, deals with a, a woman becoming president. Obviously, Adrian and I are trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible. You know, so I was thinking worst case scenarios. And then I was at Boston Comic Con the day Charlottesville happened, the riots in Charlottesville. And we, Tana Ford and I, had put together a panel that day, an LGBTQ panel that was talking about art being political. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that was happening. I could not believe. You know, my girlfriend went to UVA. There are people who were afraid to leave their houses that day in Charlottesville. So I, I still, I mean, every day I'm like, is this, this is the world we live in now. And so the line that you mentioned where Penelope uh, you know, says to Lily that some people go through this every day and it was just one night of her life. I mean, I felt a responsibility to, to write it, but I was also the whole time asking myself, do I have a right to write this? The end of the day, though, I, I just felt responsible to look around me and through the filter of Flutter, which is a sci-fi shape-shifting thing, but but try and make sense, not make sense, because there's, I don't think there's a way to make sense, but just write as responsibly as I can. I think that came across pretty well. And at least you were very aware of, even in terms of dealing with what's been going on, everybody had to sort of look at a certain level of privilege that, let's be honest, we didn't really have to deal with a whole lot. And I mean, granted, the former administration we had to deal with that too and realizing you know the reactions to having a black president and what happened there but now we have this going on and yet people were still very much realizing like we thought it was bad before but then it got worse but yet you had to think about what you were saying and if you're allowed to say it and there's nothing to make sense of but i do appreciate the fact that at least a dialogue was started and I'm glad that, you know, comics have done what they've always done is use the platform to talk about things that are very uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, and comics, I think, especially indie comics, have always pushed that envelope. Right. We also need, we need entertainment right now. We need escape. But we also need to, it's, it's more important than ever for us to be awake and to know what's going on. And I think comics, which is really the people's art form, 
I heard Sandy King Carpenter call comics the people's art form on a panel earlier this year. So that came from her. But it's true. Comics are the people's art form. And it's our way to express our, our feelings and our anger and, and try and figure out what's going on and mirror what's going on. And I, again, I, I struggle to say make sense of what's going on because I don't want to normalize it, you know, but we have to, I don't know, I just keep going back to the last November, the Wednesday after election, and I was just lying in bed, like struggling to get out of bed, and I had another friend who's a comic creator text me and said, our work is more important than ever now. Right. And it's true. Yeah. And I read volume three, and it was hard to read. And while I hate that it had to become difficult to read because it reflected so much, but yeah, I'm glad it said something. And again, there has nothing against any escapist fair because there are plenty of books that are, you know, just telling these certain stories that maybe aren't as overtly political. But yet, I'm glad to have read it because comics have always been something that I took to as a means of inspiration. So, you know, it's every bit true now than it was then. Yeah. Flutter Volume <laughs> 3 was hard to write. I think in part because it was the ending. I, I had said all along I was going to do a trilogy. I did think about ending it after volume two. That's why I I kind of gave volume two the ending it did just in case I didn't get back to it or Jeff didn't get back to it. But once volume two was in the books and out in the world, I'm like, there's still more story to tell. And I've said all along, uh, I wanted, I wanted it to be a trilogy because I love trilogies. Who doesn't? And, and so that's what it is, but it was hard to write because of those two things, because of the time. I mean, I was also, Last fall, my father died, and that was during the Kickstarter. It was when I was wrapping up the first final draft of Volume 3 before I ripped it up. That is hard, you know, again, avoiding spoilers, but uh, Volume 3, you know, Lily continues to grow up, and Lily has a reckoning. She has to deal with a lot of trauma around both of her parents. And so to have to write what I had to write in volume three uh, and then be going through the death of my father and my mother had died nine months before. It's traumatic to lose a parent. It's traumatic to lose two parents. It's traumatic no matter what your relationship is with your parents. But, you know, I'm a woman who wrote a a story about a girl who shapeshifts into a boy. You know, I've always been very aligned with my dad is my point that I'm getting at. And, and so that was really, really hard. Putting this Flutter collection together right now to be published next year, kind of, I'm saying goodbye to a decade of my life. Right. And within that decade, you know, all these things happen, and not just bad things. I mean, you know, I don't want to be um, morose. A lot of amazing things happen. I've met a lot of amazing people like you, like Rika and Sandy King Carpenter and Gail Simone and T. Franklin and all the people that I've met who have changed my life. I could not have written volume three without all of these people that I've met who have just opened my eyes. I mean, I, when I started writing Flutter volume one, I still saw the world through a male lens, the male lens of my father, the male lens of Luke Skywalker and all the male protagonists that I watched in movies and read in comics and read in books growing up. And I saw the world through their eyes to the point that when I saw Wonder Woman this year, I had a hard time seeing the movie through her eyes and not not his. It's, It's just how I grew up. 
I grew up in a very male dominated small Southern town, uh, surrounded by my dad and an older male cousins. And what's interesting is comics, which is still very male driven. I've met all these amazing women and I've exhibited at shows with these women. I mean, every July I table next to Miriam Lubicki at San Diego Comic-Con and I spend five days with her and her family. And you, she's one of the strongest women I've ever met. Lily's journey through the three volumes of Flutter is she starts, she embraces who she is. She starts to see beyond the male lens that she has as she's running around as Jesse, the boy and being treated differently as a guy. And she starts to see what it's like to be this powerful woman, this young woman by volume three. And that's kind of been my journey too. One of the big takeaways from volume three and really the whole book, obviously, but definitely volume three where you realize, you know, the true power that these women have and the things that they're able to do and dealing with the world where, you know, again, <laughs> trying not to spoil, but there are pointed moments where they, whether they be passerbys or key characters who go out of their way to demonize women or that it's like, oh, I didn't vote for her, which again, you know, I'll find you didn't have to necessarily vote. But then it goes to the other extreme where people have you know said like, oh, you know, a woman's place isn't in the White House. And, you know, characters who claim that they respect women or they claim that they care for them, but yet still don't want them to be in any sort of place of power to really make any of their own decisions. And, you know, it's crazy. Like, in that one image of Chapter 1, which, um, you know, with the Statue of Liberty, and that image really hit home because I feel like that's such a kind of profound moment. And it's equal parts, you know, it's sad, but at the same time, it's also inspiring. Well, what's crazy, too, is I, a lot of this stuff I didn't have to make up, right? Like that conversation with Chris. I have a good friend from high school who, on her Google Maps, she has the male voice because she doesn't want the female voice. She doesn't want a woman telling her what to do. That's someone who doesn't want a woman in, you know, in power to be president. And then that really hurts when your best friend from high school voted for Trump right? Voted against women. Well, in her words, she didn't vote for Trump. She didn't vote for Hillary, right? And, and that just gets really painful. So I just took a lot of those conversations that are really painful and put them into flutter into what would happen in today's climate or in a climate like today's, what would happen if a woman was president. Right. And that's also pretty ballsy, especially, you know, as a writer and as you're writing this book, because, you know, from conversations we've had and, you know, from what I know about you and just about the world in general, how much of you comes into this book? And not only just in terms of, let's say, the politics, but even like as I'm going through each chapter, noticing like the music references. And that's something that I've always also been a big fan of with the Flutter series is how much your love of music came into these comics, whether it be banter about who's do and, you know, volume two to <laughs> pretty much having, you know, entire chapters, you know, based off of songs about like Florence and Machine and, you know, Fleetwood Mac. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I love this. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was just thinking as you were talking that, that like, like with Cheerwine, I don't plan to sit down and inject music into what I write, but it always finds its way in. A character is always a musician, even if that's not a major part of it. And the the song title, I, I just love making chapter titles, song titles, or, or 
anything I write, the title ends up being a song because music is just always in my head and in my life. I play guitar and write songs. And so music is just a part of my daily life. So it just, it, it seeps in. And it's interesting because I was struggling to finishing it even. So I ripped up the script last November. I started writing it again and I was having a really, really hard time with how do I finish it? And I could not finish that damn thing until I heard the song Green Light by Lord. And something in me just snapped and I knew how to end it. You can't rush art, right? Or And I'm not calling, you know, I'm not calling my script art, but you can't rush whatever you're working on. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to be patient. And I was just, I remember like, Last January, February, trying to push the ending, and I just couldn't. And I heard that song, and and something in it just showed me the way. That is one of the best songs of the year. And I will be honest, I originally didn't put much stock into her music. And it's funny, you know, going back to um, Baroque Pop, you know, with, with Lana Del Rey, because I know Mario's a very big fan, and I didn't really think about much of her music until the anthology really came out and seeing how many people were inspired uh, to create these comics based on her music. So when it came to Laura, like, I obviously knew she was the thing. People loved her. And I'm just now, like, such a late bloomer really getting to her music and it's like, wow, I've really been missing out. And it's kind of remarkable considering she's, you know, so fairly young to kind of be so wise musically. And I feel like she still doesn't get nearly as much recognition as she should. Right. And I think she's actually okay with that. I, she's only getting better and better. Like the CD this year is better than the last. And, and I mean, just think where she's going to be in 10 years. I can't wait to see it. And I just love that it's sort of like this very natural, very organic way of performing and creating music. And because I'm basically in my head trying to like form a soundtrack, not just with the, you know, the song titles and references that you made, but also other songs I could think of. And it's one thing I kind of think would be awesome is having like a flutter playlist. I think that would be a really cool companion to these books. You know, that's a great idea. And I wonder if I can do it have it in the collection somehow so thank you for that <laughs> no worries <laughs> you know even if it's just on my website or on the publisher website or something we'll have the flutter playlist and, and uh it's that's quite a varied list of songs that'll be on there like putting on the ritz and holes doll parts oh god that song's legendary which i'm still jealous you got to meet courtney love though <laughs> that was crazy <laughs> so Courtney Love is the reason I play electric guitar. I was playing rhythm guitar, acoustic guitar in a band. This is embarrassing, but I will, I will say it. Um, I was doing Indigo Girls covers and I was in the back of a geo tracker late on a Sunday night and Miss World by Hole came on the radio, this advanced preview of their upcoming album. And I bought an electric guitar the next day. You know, there are certain CDs and there are certain books that make us who we are and that get us through the night and get us through the deepest, darkest, hardest parts of our lives. And above any book, any comic, any work of art, Holes Live Through This, more than anything else, got me through so much. Right. Suddenly, one afternoon back in June, my phone lit up and a bunch of people were texting me and... Uh, telling me that Courtney's playing this small club in Provincetown. 
Provincetown, for people who don't know, books up way in advance during the summer. It's just a huge party. You cannot find a hotel or, or uh, Airbnb or bed and breakfast last minute or even, you know, in June for a date in July. But I got, I immediately got tickets to see Courtney Love and I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to get there and spend the night there. And it all worked out. There happened to be a, a one night open at, at like one room at the end, just like Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Um, and so the whole day was magical. Like I, I was walking out the door and so Courtney Love has written a manga series and I grabbed the first volume of that and, my girlfriend and I are on the ferry to go to P-Town, and the announcer's like, we've got the Provincetown Magazine featuring Courtney Love, which was just weird to hear that at, announced on a ferry, right? No one on that <laughs> ferry cared but me. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen her play a ton of clubs, a ton of shows all over the country. I've been very fortunate to, to see her live many times. I've seen her play Amazing shows. I've seen her play terrible shows. Um, but she was, she had a great show that night. She was in a great mood. She felt comfortable in P town. She was with friends and I, I, being in such a warm LGBTQ community and she's a strong LGBTQ ally. She just felt very much at home. And so she was, uh, she came out after the show and I got to talk to her about comics, about graphic novels and, she talked about how the work she's done on, on her uh, manga series was one of the things she's most proud of. I didn't even know she did a manga. I know. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. But uh, there's very very few people that, um, I don't know, make me weak in the knees. But she's one of them. And I can still feel her arm around me. And now, see, now I'm fangirling, but that's okay. <laughs> No, that's awesome, and I love that. And while I know there's a whole saying how you should never meet your heroes, but when you do and they're awesome and, you know, you click, even for, like, a simple moment, I feel like there are a few things in the world that are better than that, and I, I think that's real. And, you know, and approaching them, like I said, as obviously people you admire, but just as people. I mean, that happens even at Comic-Cons, you know, meeting creators whose works that meant the world to me, and just being able to at least just, if just to say thank you, and seeing that they're genuinely appreciative of you saying that. I think that there's just something to be said about that, and I feel like the work that you've done, if I do say so myself, you know... I really do feel that you are that for other people and much like a lot of the creators I talk to because like, you know, you said to yourself, especially with everything going on in the world and I'm talking both positive and negative, you know, indie creators have always been great at being a voice and I'm glad that people are now, of course, creating the stories and just really finding ways to impact people in a way. So hopefully maybe there'll be one day where someone comes up to you and they'll have the same reaction meeting Jenny Wood that you had meeting Courtney Love. Hopefully I don't make it, uh, I, you know, I, I don't scare anyone to death the way Courtney, Courtney can, uh, can be intimidating. And I hope that I, I uh, never. Oh, well, I wasn't going to say exactly like Courtney Love. But <laughs> <laughs> well, she, you know, she's not an easy person to like all the time, but that's how I like, I was going to say that's how I like my women. That's the male lens coming out. Um, but, um, I am drawn to, I'm, I've always been drawn to people who are polarizing, right? Like let's get away from the male lens. I'm, att I'm attracted to topics and I'm attracted to people who are polarizing people that people either love or hate, you know, I mean, 
I've gotten into some some really uh, some knockdown drag out fights about Courtney. I'll just leave it at that. Although once I was I was having a massage and my mas- this massage therapist he was amazing, but he was from Seattle and of course he's like I'm naked on the massage table and he's like massaging my shoulders and he's telling me that he thinks Courtney killed Kurt. Right? You can't get up. What am I supposed to do right there? <laughs> <laughs> like. I'm paying for this massage. So other than that, though, I've always come to her defense as much as I could. Yeah, she's definitely that. But yet a lot of musicians are that. Yes. In in varying degrees. I mean, like I said, I mean, in this book, you've also made a PJ Harvey reference. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, she too is. And I, I, how do I say this without coming off like an asshole? Like, it's almost frightening listening to PJ. <laughs> but yet that's what i love about her and like the first time i ever heard her um and of course i'm showing my age here which is this is embarrassing because this isn't even it was oh my gosh it was one of the songs that she had on the batman forever soundtracks and i was like 10 years old and the first time i heard this and all i knew is like i wanted to cower in fear but yet it was like i kept turning up the music Oh my gosh, hold on. I actually got to feel like, what was the name of that song? I don't think I ever had that soundtrack. One Time Too Many. There you go. One Time Too Many. Okay. My girlfriend and I saw PJ Harvey earlier this year at House of Blues. And she played an amazing show. It's one of the best concerts I've ever seen. She's another person that can be intimidating to, to meet. You'd want to, it's like with Courtney Love, you want to meet her on when she's in a good mood, right? Um, but at this mm-hmm. House of Blues show, uh, right before she came on, she shut down the bars. Like the bars just closed. You couldn't buy beer. You couldn't buy alcohol while she was performing, which I just absolutely loved. Like poly genius. That's what I've been calling her since then. Like what a diva. Like you're not going to be able to go buy beer. You're going to like sit there and stand there and listen to me sing. And she put on one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Karen O did something similar to that at one of, the, uh, one of her shows where, you know, they strictly enforce like, you know, no cameras or cell phones, yeah. which, you know, I go back and forth about that. And that's another discussion for another time. But I remember reading like the, the press for it and all these people being very angry. But I'm like, you know what? Not for nothing. <laughs> Fucking A. Like, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad she's essentially like, look, for the next however time I'm performing, you're paying attention to me. And you know, I, in that, I just much respect and I just love her to death. And she's one whom, if I meet, I'm probably just going to embarrass myself because it's like, I want to be Karen O when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. The alcohol thing. And it's funny because I love, you know, I love beer. I love alcohol, but just that audacity to say, this is the way I want to perform for you. And you're here and you're going to listen. Um, yeah. That's, uh, it's funny. The yeah, yeah, yes. I'm a big fan. And Maps was almost, uh, a title of one of the flutter chapters, but I can't always force it. You know, you can't force it. I have songs that I love that I really wanted to be titles of, of a flutter chapter, but it just didn't fit at the end of the day. I'm running through the list of like, you know, the women in like, you know, rock that I love. And just like, I'm kind of realized they all kind of share a common bond. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of drawn to that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Baruch Assault. And Eyes on You, uh, which is chapter two of volume three, is, is named after a Brooke Assault song. Mm-hmm. And there's probably not a day goes by that I don't uh, I don't make some type of Brooke Assault reference. The band, not the Willy Wonka character, but the band's named after the character in, in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
Jeannie, thank you so much for chatting with me. And it's like, oh, gosh, I didn't realize time was past. I'm like, ah, shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and we got through the whole interview, and I did not start rambling on about my affection for Riverdale. <laughs> and, okay, see, and this is funny, because you did this last time, too. Um, What was the show? Um... Orphan Black, and you went on like this this great you know love letter to the show, and that was a show that I was like, you know, I'll see it when I get to it. But then I was like, you know what, you sold me on that, and I feel the same way about Riverdale, where I'm gonna basically be the very last person. Like the world will end, like a meteor will be hitting Earth, and I'll be the first one to finally watch an episode, going, oh hey, this is pretty good, right before it all ends, because I'm such a late comer to all this wonderful stuff. Well, there's a <laughs> lot of wonderful stuff out. Right. You can't consume it all. And I tend to take on one thing at a time, pretty monogamous with my pop culture. (laughs) I just dive into one thing and that's all I want to see and hear. I I grew up reading comics like a lot of people listening. And I was never a fan of Archie because it was just too vanilla for me. It was just too goody goody of a comic. But Riverdale is like if you fit through the filter of Heathers, which is, you know, my favorite movie of all time, it's just a very, it's just, there's a very dark take on Archie, which of course I love. Right. And I think they're doing some really interesting things with casting and what they've done with Josie and the Pussycats and see, here I go. Um, the first three episodes, just watch the first three episodes of, of Riverdale. It's just very Heathers. It's more Heathers to me than Mean Girls or like there's going to be a Heathers TV series uh, next year, I believe. And I've seen scenes from that. And I'm like, now nah, Riverdale captured Heather's better, I think, in my not so humble of uh, Riverdale obsessed opinion. <laughs> and we almost got through the whole interview. I can't have a conversation these days without mentioning Riverdale, which is kind of embarrassing, I think. But okay. oh, well, well, speaking of which, though, and I don't know if you can talk about this, um, if it's even still on the table, which if it's not, we can always cut it out. But um, I know that at one point Flutter was um, option for development as well. Yes, it is. It's been option. I mean, Dark Horse Entertainment has uh, been shopping it as a TV or film property for a while. And then Universal Cable Productions picked it up and has optioned it for TV. And these things are roller coasters, to say the least. And you have to manage expectations. A lot has to happen for it to actually see the light of day. Um, you know, and there's still a possibility it could end up as a film instead of a TV show. There's a lot of moving parts and there's certain times there's been a lot going on and then there'll be nothing going on and then a lot going on. and, And you just learn to sit back and, and have a good lawyer work with people that you trust and just see what happens. Oh my god! If that was a TV show, that that'd be off the chain. That's my long way of saying, you know, everything is still up in the air, but it is still in the works. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. I'm so glad to finally got to chat with you, and hopefully, it won't be another like you know several dozen episodes before we do it again. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Anytime. Like I said, and I generally mean that chatting with you is a joy, and it's always a reminder of just meeting awesome people in comics, and, you know, especially like I said, with the world as it is, we need as many awesome people as we possibly can, and awesome women especially. Thank you. But before we go, obviously we should let the wonderful people know where they can find Flutter, and also, if they feel like interacting with you more, uh, where they can do so. 
Yeah, you can find me at JennyWood.com. That's J-E-N-N-I-E-W-O-O-D. You can read the first chapter of Flutter there and find out where to read more if you want. And all my social media links you can get at through my website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And uh, we will see you next issue. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please visit us on the web at adrianhasissues.com where you can stream and download all of our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash adrianhasissues. Follow us on Twitter at adrianhasissues and on Instagram at adrianhasissuespod. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and the Laughable Podcast app. Thanks again!